Um, as you know, uh, I, love, I love the role and I love the responsibility, as weighty as it is, uh, to teach on Sunday mornings. And I'm also, though, very jealous uh, for you to experience um, some people that I've gotten to rub shoulders with in my life and for our church to be exposed to different teaching. And especially when it comes from people that have impacted you. And uh, so this morning we have, I, really it's a treat for me, it's, it's also for you, but um, Nancy Beach, one of the kind of the beginning founders uh, of Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago. Trish and I spent um, all, close to 10 years there. Um, Bobby spent some time there and some others. Uh, but really that's not why she's here. Uh, she is one of those people, and I'm sure you've had them in your life, that spoke maybe some things to you early on. Have you ever gotten a note from somebody when you were younger and you kept that note? Anybody done that? You kept a note from someone. I was cleaning out my office um, while my wife was gone, and uh, I came across a letter or a note from Nancy Beach, and it was the first time I had ever spoken um, at the youth service. And I read it, and it just struck me, because I thought, how appropriate. Uh, she, she talks about um, how amazing I was. I'm just totally joking. No, she wasn't saying that. Um, <laughs> no, she spoke into my life. And I think there's something about that that endears us to those types of people, and it says something about those people who take the time to observe other people and to pour truth into them, really. And that's what our community, our family should be like. But Nancy's um, a mom of two college daughters, obviously a wife um, of a great man that has served the church for many years. Uh, she writes, she speaks. Um, there's a lot about Nancy, but what I love is she loves Jesus. And, and you know that when you get next to her, and it's contagious. And so um, I know she's from Chicago, and sometimes you're not really nice to Chicago people, but um, if you could just be nice and give a great, warm welcome to Nancy Beach. Thank you. So sweet. Thank you. Thank you very much. It has been so fun for me um, after several years to reconnect with Troy and Trish and to have dinner last night, talk about our girls. We all are parents of girls. But there's one person who's even more excited than me that I'm here today from my family. And that's my 90-year-old mother. And I have to tell you why. Um, my mom was born in Ohio and at the age of four moved to Chicago and has lived in Chicago the rest of her life. But for some mysterious reason, she is a passionate, devoted Green Bay Packer fan, unlike the rest of my family. Um, we think it's because she's had a schoolgirl crush on all of your quarterbacks. There's just something <laughs> going on with her. And she lives with my younger sister and her four kids, who are all huge bear fans. And on game day, they're all wearing all their bear gear. And my mom, in the little room she lives in their house, has a sign. And it says, this is Packer country. And she's quite proud of it. So she was so thrilled that I was coming to Green Bay. And she's disappointed I'm not going to get to see a game today. But she is on your side. So... Uh, I want to tell you a little bit about what Sundays were like when I was growing up. Grew up about 10 minutes from O'Hare Airport in a suburb of Chicago. And on Sunday mornings, my siblings and I, there were four kids in my family, we put on our shiny 
best shoes and our fancy clothes, and we got in my dad's Oldsmobile, and we went three blocks um, to our local church, and the first hour was spent in Sunday school, and then we went into what we called big church, and after that, sometimes we'd go home for lunch, but very often, we would get in the Oldsmobile again, and we would drive 30 minutes to my Aunt Betty's house. Now, I love visiting my cousins, my Aunt Betty and her husband, but the big attraction for me was actually my grandfather, um, who lived with them. And he used to read stories to me, and I just really treasure uh, my memories of him. But at Aunt Betty's, we would sit down for a big meal about 2 o'clock, and we would enjoy each other's company. In fact, sometimes my grandpa would grab his fiddle and start playing some music. It sounds a little like Norman Rockwell at this point, but it was very sweet. But I noticed something. My Aunt Betty had a lot more rules about Sundays than we did at my house. Uh, my cousins were not allowed to even turn on the television. It couldn't be on all day. And they also were not allowed to play sports on Sunday. Um, they were definitely not allowed to do homework. They had to have that all done um, the night before. If anybody had forgotten the milk or something, you could not go to the grocery store. Of course, a lot of the stores weren't even open um, back then on Sundays, but you couldn't go shopping. And she was quite strict. And whether you agree with her rules or not, and I'm not sure I agree with all those rules, I do believe that my Aunt Betty understood something. She knew something very important, and that is that the Sabbath day is intended to be a distinct and very treasured day. It's to be different from all the other days of the week. And what I want to explore together today is the origin of the Sabbath, what Jesus, our Savior, had to say about this day. I also want to look with you at how it's been abused through the years and misunderstood, how the Sabbath has really been misunderstood. But most importantly, what I'm hoping to do today is to give you some very practical inspiration for honoring this day and receiving the gift that God wants to give to you and me that ushers in great delight and joy and rest. So we have to begin by looking at where the Sabbath comes from. You may know that it's one of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are found in uh, two different places in the Old Testament, in Exodus and also in Deuteronomy. There's a little difference between those two versions, so I'm going to show you that in a moment. But I find it interesting that of all the commandments, God used the most words when it came to the Sabbath day. It's the longest of the commandments, and also, it's the only one that starts with something we are to do instead of something we are not to do. Okay, so let's take a look at the Exodus version, first of all. This is found in Exodus chapter 20. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This commandment calls you and me to model the rhythm of our week the same way that God modeled it in creation. Remember, he created the universe, and after six days, he rested on the seventh day. He stopped, and he looked at what he made, and he said, it is good. Note that this commandment is for everyone, regardless of gender or whether or not, you know, how old you are, social standing. Even the animals 
are supposed to rest. So don't make your dog go get the newspaper or anything. Everybody's supposed to get a break uh, on the Sabbath. Now to best understand the perspective in the Deuteronomy version, we have to remember that the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. Think about that. 400 years they were slaves. And so there was no day of rest. They worked seven days a week. They never had permission to stop. And now God wants to show them that he designed them to live differently than that. And this version of the commandment is really grounded in freedom. This is found in Deuteronomy 5. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Do you see how that one is built around the whole idea of freedom? To keep the Sabbath is to embrace our freedom and to celebrate it. And to refuse the Sabbath is to spurn the gift of that freedom. Now, this may surprise you, <clears throat> excuse me, but it turns out that God is actually pretty silent about specific Sabbath rules. He only says that we are to refrain from work and that we're to keep the Sabbath holy and set apart. It's kind of curious that he's silent about Sabbath rules because there's very explicit instructions in the Old Testament about a lot of other things, as you may know. The priestly garments and the instructions for dietary concerns, sexual conduct, all of that. But God is calling you and me to figure out how to honor the Sabbath. And yet, and this is so important, God does take the Sabbath seriously. It is a commandment, not a suggestion. Breaking this this commandment is just as disobedient as it is to steal or to kill or to covet or to lie. Now, the Jewish leaders began to pile rule upon rule for the Sabbath, their human interpretation. Did you know they identified 39 categories where you could not express any kind of work? They provided rigid instructions for every one of those 39 categories. So, for example, these are some of the things that you couldn't do. You couldn't sow seeds, plant, reap, thresh, knead, bake, spin, weaving, hunting, building, or hammering. Not a lot of relevance to us those days except maybe hunting up here. But the rest of it, you know, we can't relate to all of this so much. A person wasn't even allowed to light a fire on the Sabbath, so you couldn't carry around matches or kindling of any kind. Well, then Jesus came along, and he really shook things up. First, we know that Luke reports that it was Jesus' custom to always go to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. So he grounded his day in worship. But to his enemies, Jesus looked like a big-time Sabbath breaker. They believed he was in flagrant violation of the rules because he dared to perform five healings on the Sabbath. The religious leaders were outraged, and they began to perform some covert operations to try to catch Jesus in the act of healing. And Jesus didn't care about these elaborate codes of the religious leaders. He didn't actually rebel against the Sabbath. He reframed it. He reframed it. Look at what he said about the fourth commandment. This is found in Mark chapter 2. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for people, not people for the Sabbath. I love that. It was made for us. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Jesus wants you and me to know that the Sabbath was never intended to be a burden. 
It is all about how we can live a more abundant life. He wants us to know that religion can actually wreck the Sabbath. It can ruin it. It's a gift, not a punishment. And actually, when he healed people, he was fulfilling the day's true intent because he was freeing them. And the Sabbath is all about freedom. Now, throughout the centuries, men and women have swung a huge pendulum when it comes to uh, keeping the Sabbath. One extreme would be legalism. This was like the Pharisees, rules upon rules upon rules. The other extreme is minimalism. This is not taking the Sabbath very seriously, but basically ignoring it altogether. In A.D. 321, Constantine, the first Christian emperor, declared that Sunday should be a day of rest. He ordered that all the law courts be closed and all public works ceased. He did make an exception, though, for agricultural work. Then the English Puritans, you kids are getting a history lesson here today, the English Puritans came over here, and when they came to America, they brought a very rigid approach to the Sabbath. Did you know that in certain towns, these are laws on the books, uh, used to be, in certain towns here, you couldn't smile on the Sabbath, and you couldn't even kiss your children. Talk about missing the point, you know, altogether. Some towns appointed individuals who would go uninvited into homes and try to catch church members in the act of a violation of the Sabbath. So where do you think um, our culture is today when it comes to the Sabbath? Do you think most of us are legalists? I don't think so. I think most of us are on the minimalist side. The majority of people I know take a very cavalier attitude about the Sabbath. Let's take a look at the typical American's work life. By work, I am including your activities inside and outside the home. Okay, so anything in the, that broad category would be considered work. In recent years, we've coined a phrase to describe our culture. It's the phrase 24-7. And we like to tell people that we are busy and we are on 24-7. That's the way most people view their work week. Annual work hours in the United States keep escalating every year. Did you know that in Norway, they work an average of 14 weeks less per year than we do here in the States? We are busy, 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 and we like to brag about how busy we are and how little sleep we get. Many authors have pointed out that the fourth commandment is the only one that Christians actually brag about breaking. You know, we don't go around and say to somebody, yeah, I lied yesterday, aren't I great? Or I stole something. We don't do that. But we certainly like to brag about how busy we are and how we never, ever stop. The Swahilis have a name for white man or westerner, for westerners, and this is their word, mzungu. And it literally means someone who keeps spinning around. And that's how they view us. But here's the thing. We pay a terrible price for our busyness, a terrible price. It erodes our capacity to really enjoy life, to treasure moments with another human being where you're actually looking in each other's eyes and feeling the wonder of your relationship with them. It erodes our capacity to worship reverently, to reflect on what matters most, to think about not just the next thing we have to do, but to think about our life in a bigger picture kind of way. Life is meant to be so much different, fuller and slower and deeper. 
That's what God has intended for us. And in our culture, we know very little of setting aside an entire day to reflect and rest and play and delight in God. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, hold on there a second, Nancy. I mean, we know all about leisure, and we take the occasional vacation. Well, here's the problem. Leisure is not the same as a Sabbath. And most of our weekends are not very restful, even if we're not at work, so to speak. In fact, sometimes they're more draining than the rest of the week, right? Especially this season of the year where you're trying to get those lights up and decorate your house and all that kind of stuff, all the shopping. And so what do we do? Well, actually, we multitask. We do a lot of that. Um, we escape even on Sundays into the nothingness of video games or television or something mind-numbing. Sure, we may come to church, as you have all done, and start our day that way, which is a beautiful way to begin the Sabbath. But then we might burst out of here and run errands and catch up on emails and pretty much behave as though it was the rest of the week. There's nothing really different about it. Did you know that the word vacation has the same root word as the word vacate, which means empty, empty? When we get too busy, here's what happens, and it's happened to me. We just trudge through life. We survive. We move from the next thing to the next thing, and we kind of lose our sense of adventure. This has happened more and more with technology. And I want you to know I'm not anti-technology. But there is something that is very um, challenging, I believe, to the health of our souls, because we can be reached all the time, or at least we allow ourselves to be reachable all the time to be aware of these little things we carry around and whenever they beep and whenever they have a message for us and we're looking at, at that all the time. And the problem is it blurs the lines, especially if your boss can get a hold of you. It blurs the lines between our have-tos and our want-tos and our days begin to look quite similar to one another. The work bleeds into the rest of our lives. So what's the difference between a Sabbath and just another day on the weekend? Well, my favorite writer on this subject is a Canadian pastor named Mark Buchanan, and he wrote a book called The Rest of God. And he tells us that you and I need to cultivate a new Sabbath attitude. God says to keep the Sabbath holy, which means set apart, distinct, that we need to treat this day with some reverence. We consecrate time, and we have a rhythm to our weeks. And this is what the rhythm looks like. Six days filled with everything else, with our work and our activities and our errands and our house stuff and all of that, followed by a day of rest every seven days. Now, many of us spend much of our lives, and I confess that I have done this as well, we spend much of our lives pretty much ignoring the Sabbath or treating it very casually. But we have to remember that God is our maker. He's our creator so therefore, if we really believe that, he knows what is best for us. Recently, it was time for me to get a new car. Uh, I'm married to a very frugal man, and when we get cars, we drive them into the ground until they just cannot go anymore. So I've had three Toyota Camrys in a row, and they're a great car, I want to be quick to say that, and they've lasted forever, and you can put a gazillion miles on them. And so I've had three Camrys in a row. Well, it was time to get a new car last summer. And so almost like automatically, I'm like, well, let's go look at the Toyota Camrys. And my 20-year-old daughter sat me down, and she said, Mom, you are so boring. <laughs> she said, 
you're just assuming you're going to get another Camry. You've had three Camrys in a row. She said, the only time your eyes light up when you talk about cars is when you remember the Volkswagen Beetle that you had in college. So she said, would you just do me a favor and at least go test drive a Volkswagen Beetle? Now, my husband was semi-okay with this because at least it was about the same price and it wasn't, you know, that big a deal. So I said, okay, I'll do that. Well, I drove home with a yellow convertible Volkswagen Beetle. <laughs> you can see it in the parking lot uh, when you leave today. It's like my happy place car and definitely a midlife crisis car too, I'm quite sure. Um, but here's the point. When you get a new car, you get a manual, right? And in that manual, it tells you, if you want this car to run well for a long time, here's how often you should change the oil, here's when you should do maintenance on it, and also explains to you how everything works in the car. And, and if you ignore that, you're kind of dumb, because you probably won't have your car in a healthy place for a long time. It's the same thing with you and me. God says, I created you. I know what's best for you. If you want to live the abundant life that I've promised for you, if you want to know the fullness of life and of my joy, then you need to have a certain rhythm to your life. And you need every seven days to carve out a day called the Sabbath. We are to sanctify the Sabbath. The Hebrew people say that that word sanctify also means to betroth. And they think of marriage when they think of the Sabbath. They call it the queen of all days, the largest of days, the day to which all the other days of the week lead and culminate. At their Sabbath meal, they often read these words from Isaiah 58. Look at this promise. God says, If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, then... Here's the promise. Then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. So what does all this mean for you and me, really practically speaking? Well, God is calling us to carve out a 24-hour period of time that is distinct from other days. Now, some of you work, literally work, on parts of Sunday, maybe certain Sundays you work, I coach a lot of church leaders these days, and most of them could call Sunday a day of work, honestly, because they're getting there early, they're setting up microphones, they're practicing worship, or they're teaching, or whatever. So you could choose a different day of the week if Sunday is a work day for you. The principle is that you choose one and that you try to have a regular rhythm. Unless your work life keeps changing all the time, try to have a consistent six days that are different, and then one day that is distinct and set apart. Now remember, I'm going to give you some guidelines here, but let's avoid legalism, not a lot of rules, that's not what this is about, and let's avoid minimalism, which means, you know what, it doesn't matter, I'm not going to pay any attention to this at all. Let's dig in. Mark Buchanan has a golden rule for the Sabbath, and it just has two parts. The first part is that you and I should cease what is necessary. Cease what is necessary. Now, I grew up, as I said, in the Chicago area, and I'm sure it's quite the same here in northern Wisconsin. Are there two more magical words when you're growing up that you could hear in the morning anything more magical than the two words, snow day, <laughs> right? 
I mean, my girls used to wait. If we knew we had a big snow coming, and there had to be a lot for us to miss school, but if we knew a big one was coming, they were waiting for that phone call, that chain or whatever that they do, and they let the parents know, and some recording would come on and say, there is no school today. Now, this can be magical for adults, too, if you find out that your office is closed or that, you know, for some reason you can't even get out of your driveway, even if you wanted to, and all of a sudden, the whole day feels different, right? If you're a kid, you can stay in your pajamas. If you're an adult, you can stay in your pajamas. You can watch The View or Oprah or any of those dumb shows that are on, and you can really enjoy a leisurely breakfast, and you can just play. You can do whatever you want, and maybe at some point you'll get around to going out and trying to shovel your way out of it, but even that can be playful, and you can build a fort, and you can have so much fun. Well, here's the thing. Every seven days, God wants to give you and me the equivalent of a snow day. Every seven days, he wants you to wake up and think, it's the Sabbath. It's the Sabbath. And to celebrate and to feel full of joy. The Sabbath literally means to stop. Do you know that? That's what the word means, to stop. And God is inviting you and me to mimic what he did when he created the earth, and then he stopped, and he said, it is what? Good. It is good. Time to rest. We cease our striving, and we know that he is God. But many of us are a lot more comfortable with working than stopping. We don't even know what to do with ourselves sometimes when we stop. And we ground too much of our identity in our work. So when we stop, we have a hard time resting in the idea, you know what, here's who I am. I'm not about my job or my title. I'm not even about my, the roles I play in this life. Like for me, a mom or a wife or a daughter or a friend. Those are all important. But who am I fundamentally? Well, if we take the Sabbath day and we stop, we say fundamentally, I am a treasured daughter of the Most High God. That's who I am. And we remind ourselves of what matters most. So this is going to require some humility. Pridefully, some of us decide, I'm the exception. I'm sure the Sabbath might be a good idea for people, you know, like for weak people who don't have as big a capacity as I have. And we have this pride. We do. We have a pride that we think we're above this somehow. And so it requires some humility to stop and to surrender and to actually trust that God knows what he's doing. So the first question I have for you is, will you trust God's command to stop? Will you trust God enough to say, yes, I will stop? To say yes is to choose the way of littleness. A colleague of Martin Luther's turned to him one day, and he said to Martin Luther, Today, you and I shall discuss the governance of the universe. And Martin Luther looked at him and said, No, today, you and I shall go fishing, and we shall leave the governance of the universe to God. And that's what we do when we take a Sabbath. We say, God, you're in control. You're in charge. I don't have to keep spinning, 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 making everything happen. Observing the Sabbath is an act of surrender. So if we're going to cease from all that's necessary, I want to give you just some suggestions of what you might consider stopping on the Sabbath. Work. This includes thinking about our work, which is much harder. Okay? Physical exhaustion. 
Hurry. What if you just eliminated hurry on the Sabbath and you slowed down? Multitasking, competitiveness, worry, decision-making, catching up on errands. Here's the hardest one for many of you. Technology. What if you actually ignored it for a little while? Put it away. Too much talking, 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 talking. Just be quiet for a little bit. And shopping. Now, some of you are in a season of life with young children, and you look at this list and you want to scream at me right now. You want to say, you know, I don't get to take a break from being a mom or a dad. People have to eat. Um, there's certain realities of life, and I understand there are chores uh, that need to be done. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. I vividly recall when my two young girls were toddlers, and just the thought of a one-hour nap would bring tears to my eyes. I mean, I just, that was just a wondrous, wondrous thought. And then I remember we entered another season where my older daughter was in travel sports. She was a soccer player, and travel sports, where I live anyway, is on Sundays. And we had to make another decision. What is this going to mean for our family? Are we going to allow this to happen? And in our case, what we decided after prayerfully considering it was that she could do that, but we were going to make that a part of our Sabbath. We got to know the other families who are uh, parents on the team. We would often go out to eat with them afterwards, and we built relationships with them, relationships which still exist um, today. We decided to enter into the fun of the experience. Some Jewish families put a box by their front door, and they begin their Sabbath the night before. Okay, So the night before, they put in that box anything they won't be needing for the next 24 hours. Now, this is going to sound a little extreme to you, but they put their car keys in there. They put their cell phone, maybe even the remote control, okay? And they shut it up as a symbol like tomorrow will be different. Tomorrow is a different day. Now, if you're breaking out in a sweat right now just thinking about that, hang with me, okay? Hang with me. Don't go away. In a moment, we're going to see how life-giving the Sabbath could be if we gave up some of these things. Like, what do we replace it with? Some of you are really nervous because you're thinking, how can this not be boring? But we'll get to that. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus gives a glorious invitation to his disciples. And I believe he gives this invitation to you and me as well. The apostles gathered around Jesus and they reported to him all they had done and taught. Now, if you're an achiever, especially if you're a type A type person, can't you just picture this? They're coming up to Jesus and they're saying, Jesus, we got to tell you what we've been doing for you. And we healed this many people, and we spoke in this many places, and we've been busy, busy, busy for you, Jesus. And he doesn't even really acknowledge that. I'm sure he smiled and blessed them a little, but it says then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat. This is what their life, busy ministry life was like. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Isn't that gorgeous? Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And that's the invitation that our Savior is giving to us every week for one day. Now, when you think about all we're going to stop, you want to know what's next. The second part of the golden rule is to embrace that which gives life. So we cease what is necessary, but we embrace that which gives life. Dan Allender also wrote a book on the Sabbath, and he poses this question. What would I do for a 24-hour period of time if the only criteria was to pursue my deepest joy? 
It's a great question to ask as you think about your Sabbath. Or what would give you the greatest sense of the abiding goodness of God? What would do that for you? I want to offer you five key words quickly that you could use as guidelines for your Sabbath. The first one is delight. Delight. The Sabbath gives you the opportunity to engage in life-giving pursuits, whatever that means for you. Now, that could include a Packers game. I get that. But it could include a lot of other things as well. What would give you great, great joy? One writer describes it as passing through a day without passing it by. The next word is closely connected. It's the word worship. Now, you started your day in what we call corporate worship or community worship, and that was a great decision you made this morning. You could have stayed in bed or you could have stayed home, but you decided, I'm going to gather with other people, and we're going to sing together about, as Bobby reminded us, how our God is able. When we sing that alone, that's wonderful, but when we sing it together, we affirm it together, and we're in the context of community. We can also have a part of our worship, though, that's private. Maybe later today, when you take some moments to say, God, here's what I want to thank you for from the past week. I want to praise you for these things, God. So it's both. Another key word connected to this is the word reflect. And I would urge you on the Sabbath day to look back at the previous six days. You might even want to make a list. Say, God, I want to thank you for these ways you've been faithful to me. The past six days, maybe you've seen some answers to prayer that you could acknowledge. But we have a chance to reflect and, and to ask this question. God, what are you saying to me lately? Is there a pattern in my life that I should be paying attention to? Is there something quite, not quite right with me? Because if that's the case, I want to know and I want to confess it before you. Or maybe, God, you know I'm facing a big decision. What are you saying to me, God? I want to listen. I want to give you room to talk to me. Today's the first Sunday of Advent. In the Advent season, we celebrate Emmanuel, which means God with us. But you know what? God can't be with us if we're not with him. He isn't rude. He doesn't break down doors. He says, if you invite me, I want to commune with you. I want to relate to you. I want to talk with you. And so that's part of what we do on the Sabbath. We give God some room. Maybe it works best for you to take a walk. There's a beautiful um, park, a new park in my neighborhood that has some trails. And sometimes on a Sabbath afternoon, I will just take my dog or just go by myself and take a walk. Even in winter, when first glance things look really ugly, but if you look a little bit, you can find beauty. Even, even in the dead of winter. So take some time to reflect. Another key word, obviously, for the Sabbath is rest. Rest. This can mean different things for different people. I love the fact that Psalm 23 says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me. Obviously, some of us need a little nudging to rest. But God wants us to lie down in green pastures. Now, parents with young children, you need to be a little creative on this one. When my kids were little, um, it was fortuitous that I prefer early afternoon naps and my husband prefers late afternoon naps. So he would give me a break and then I would give him a break. If you are a single parent, this is even more challenging. And maybe you have a friend where you can swap kids for a little bit or an extended family member. If you know a single parent with young children, I urge you to help them figure out how to rest and maybe you could be part of that solution. 
But the important thing is to sometimes just stop. And there's something very holy about a really good nap. Another key word is play. Play. You know, when we're little, nobody has to tell us how to play. I'm jealous of you young people in this room because you're really good at play. You figure it out. You just do it. And you have so much fun. And as we get older, some of us lose a sense of what would be playful for us. What would be fun? And this can vary widely. I mean, for some people I know, it's getting their hands dirty and gardening. For me, that sounds like work. So it's play for some people. It's work for other people. A lot of this could be best done outside. Again, even in winter, finding ways to play or go sledding. I have a friend who works at a desk all week long. He's on the phone. He's very intense in this indoor place. So on his Sabbath, one of the things he loves to do is to chop wood. Now, the Pharisees would have probably accused him of working, but not Jesus. Jesus would say, Gary, if that's life-giving to you, to chop wood, if you find great joy in that, you go for it, because it's so distinct from the rest of his week. Here's a suggestion for married couples that actually comes from Jewish rabbis. Jewish rabbis tell married couples in their synagogues that they might want to make love on the Sabbath. And when my husband heard that, he wanted to convert immediately to the <laughs> Jewish faith. So the key question for you, again, is what would you do for a 24-hour period of time if the only criteria was to pursue your deepest joy? Delight, worship, reflect, rest, and play. I urge you to experiment. Try some new things. Some of you might say, you know, this whole thing is very new to me, or I have not honored this commandment really in my life. So begin to take some small steps. A whole day at the beginning might be a little much for you. Carve out an afternoon. Um, figure out how you can begin to shift things around in your life. I have learned that the key is intentionality. We're not just going to slide into the practice of the Sabbath. We have to actually plan for it. We have to be intentional. Now, as always happens for those who teach, uh, I've learned more than anyone else when I've dug into this teaching about the, about the Sabbath, and I've had to change some things in my life. I've also learned that I need to not only be intentional, but I need preparation. I need preparation. So for me, I no longer work on staff at a local church. So many Sundays, I'm actually like many of you, where I, I am not due in a work kind of capacity. So I've been treating my Sundays, for the most part, as my Sabbath now, and it's changed my Saturdays, to be honest. Um, on Saturdays, I try to run around and get the errands done. Saturday night, I try to catch up on all my emails and shut it down after Saturday night, not to be opened again until Sunday evening. I also um, have learned that if I did this last Saturday, I made a meal. I just made a pot of soup. It was no big deal. I made a meal on Saturday that I knew we were going to eat on Sunday. And it's so relaxing to wake up on Sunday, do that or order pizza, I don't care, either one. But the point is that you don't have to cook a lot um, on Sunday, which is really great. And it has changed the rhythm for my husband and me very much um, on the weekends. Now we're empty nesters now, so it's a little bit easier for us. But here's the thing, on Sunday mornings when I'm at home, I wake up in the morning and my first thought is, wow, a whole day to be filled with joy and delight and rest and play. It feels like a snow day. And normally we get up now and we go to church together. 
sometimes we'll get a bite to eat after church and we'll talk about the service and what, what touched us and what we learned. We come home. I remember I'm an afternoon, early afternoon napper, and so what I do is I find the golf channel with the British announcers because they really put me to sleep. They, they speak so, they whisper with a British accent. It's really beautiful. I highly recommend it. And then later, I usually um, read a good book or watch a great movie. I pull out the meal that I made the day before, and sometimes we'll have some friends over, and I enjoy that. Some of you are introverts, and the friends family part is not what you want to do, and that's okay too. Again, what is life-giving for you? What would breathe life back into you? The key is that my Aunt Betty was onto something. She really was. She might have gone a little extreme, but she knew that Sundays are to be sacred, set apart, distinct, and very, very special. Very, very special. And God is saying to you and me, I have a gift to give to you. I have a gift for you. I made you, and I know what's best for you. You may not think so, but I do, every last one of you. I have this gift to give you every seven days. Will you trust me enough? Will you trust me enough to obey this commandment and to receive this gift? And here's his promise one more time from Isaiah 58. This is a promise for you. He says, if you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, and I interpret that to mean doing as you please, meaning working like you always do, making it like any other day. If you don't do that, and if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then here's what will happen. You will find your joy in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land. What a beautiful promise. Now, you began your day really well. You began your day in community, in church, in worship, in learning. And in a moment, you're going to have the honor, the privilege of taking the sacrament, remembering Jesus' sacrifice for you and me when he hung on that cross and shed his blood so that we could be his children. In just a moment, you get to go partake of that and stand by the cross for a moment and thank him for that. And then when you leave, you have the whole rest of the day. You don't even have a Packers game to watch. Maybe I could beg you to root for the Bears as they play Minnesota, but I don't know if you care about that. Come on, help me out here. Our quarterback is injured as well. Um, but you have a whole rest of the day to figure out what would be life-giving. What would be life-giving? And how could I pause and thank God for the gift of the Sabbath? So let me pray for us, and then you'll have a chance to celebrate communion. Sovereign, holy God, creator of all good things and creator of all human beings, first we want to confess to you that we are sorry for our casual attitude about this commandment, about this life-giving commandment, this gift that you want to give to us. We are sorry that sometimes in our pride, in our busyness, we have decided that we're the exception to the rule. We are sorry that we haven't leaned into the life-giving play and delight and rest and wonder that you want to usher in for us every seven days. Father, we commit to you that we want to take steps toward honoring the Sabbath in a fuller way. We really do want to receive this gift. 
And I pray that we'll have conversations with one another in our families or among our friends to say, what could we specifically do to usher in the joy that God wants to give us every seven days? And now as we partake of communion, we want to thank you, God. We want to pause and give you the honor you so richly deserve. We thank you for sending your one and only son to be a sacrifice, to redeem us, to bring us home to you. We will be eternally grateful for Jesus. Thank you for the gift of this day. Thank you for the beauty of this community. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.